This is a Strategist, episode 1266. My name is Zane Belgi. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, I honestly don't have the time, but we have to do it. It is the first Sunday in November, and you know what we do the first Sunday of November, Carter. Yeah. You know it. Oh, I know. And this, I'm always paying This attention. is, of course, just to be clear, Corey, and you know it as well, this is the first Sunday in November in years where there is not an American midterm or presidential election, um, in which case we would do it um, the second Sunday uh, in November. So we'd, of course, yeah. you know, um, oh, respecting yeah. the, the American tradition. But Corey, what do we do on this uh, first Sunday? Is it our um, five-star... Drive. No, it is not. No, no, that is okay. that is more of. Yeah, you should do that. Though, <laughs> we right? should, we will, give us five star reviews. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. Think yeah. people can do that. Um, oh, you know what? We're supposed to do that in March. We didn't do that this year. That's fine. So it's because you didn't have yeah, me okay. reminding you. Um, uh, it's, <laughs> that's right. right. Yeah, you're, I keep you're us right. on schedule. Always on top of those things, Carter. Yeah. I do keep us on schedule on many things, including. Do you know what this is? First Sunday. In I November. believe this is the annual uh, domain cleanup. Isn't it's the, it? it's isn't the it? annual. Strategist Media Corp domain audit, Corey. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, the audit. That's the, what we you call it. We call it the yeah. audit. Every year, we we take stock. Uh, we look back uh, through a lens of both nostalgia and cost efficiency to figure out which domain names we have purchased in the in the past year or so, uh, and which ones we want to keep. Now, uh, unfortunately, uh, we have purged zero domains <laughs> as part of these. Well, we, yeah, we, I keep renewing them. Yeah, which is yeah. probably a mistake. in fact, I think our domain audit has uh, given us ideas for more domain names than it has actually purged yeah. any domains. I truly, I wait for CRA to audit us and me to try to explain. Uh, that Trudeau is fucking you.ca is a business expense. Like, I'm not entirely sure how to do that. Well, that would be. Uh, oh, but that sounds like an invitation. If they audit you, that sounds like <laughs> yeah. that sounds like political targeting on my part. And I yeah, think that, that becomes a news story. We hand that off you know what? manila envelope to some of the people that listen to this pod. I think I think we create a website and we point cartersmonthlynut.com at it. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Do we also we own the CRA's right politically motivated.ca? Can we actually? Um, we, we will now. Okay, but let's buy that one and have a very large receipt when we actually expense that. Okay. Yeah. Let's just make it like comically sized. Can we actually spend another $50 on a comically sized envelope and receipt for that particular domain name when we submit our. our feels like we can. I, feels like that. Feels like we can feels do. like we should. Thanks to the, possible, thanks to the listeners. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, yeah, uh, thanks to Canva. Which, by the way, Corey, sponsors, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Canva. Sorry about the brand safety moment you're having right now. Oh, but, that's uh, fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, Corey, do you want to do you want to start us off with our annual audit of of the domain names? Do you just want to do rapid fire like you have in the past, uh, or do you want to linger on some of the ones that uh, you particularly I think, we, think we should start purging this year? Maybe I just do some treetops because we have a lot of them. Like we could spend an entire episode just talking on the variants of BrettAndrews.ca that we own. So you know. There's, uh, there's a few. I but not really gone. appreciated what we yes. gave him. Yeah. <laughs> who who uh, was he, but mainly why was he? Hey, listen. Okay, keep going. Red Andrews going. lives in my heart just fine. I don't know why you've all Honestly, forgotten. I for, he I was for, our 1,000th patron. I forgot about Red Andrews. That's fine. You know what? But now you remember him again, and you love him again. It's true. I want to get down to 999 patrons again. I want a lot of people to quit <laughs> so we can get back to this moment. Okay. I don't, okay. Okay, keep going. What, uh, what do we have? Well, let's, let's talk about... Uh, <laughs> Of course, the evergreen one, disgraced former leader Brown, which we actually bought before his most recent disgraces. So that you know what I, I think actually a good investment. I feel like that one is flexible because it works for. We know a lot of Browns, right? So should an Andrew oh, yeah. Brown or a Janet Brown or a Rob Brown or a Peter point. Brown ever choose to run for office? 
and they're going to disgrace themselves, which seems like their path. As leader. Yeah, as and leader. We, yeah. Evergreen. Yep. I also what like I'm hearing it. hearing is we can't get rid of that one. I also like okay. it because if anyone brown runs, we can also make yeah, it I generic don't, you enough. Know, Probably not. No, I feel like the first yeah, no, was think... a good good enough reason to keep it, but the second one I feel like is is just a cherry on the maybe top. a reason to get rid. Okay, of... we're keeping that one, Carter. We're keeping that one. Okay. What else do we have? Well, yeah, listen, what else do we I'm... have, uh, Corey? Well, of course, we also own uh, WestofCenter.ca. That one's on oh, a fifty-year lock. I believe we have. <laughs> we have got an American-sized mortgage on that, a fifty-year you know mortgage on that particular one. Okay, we actually can't get rid of that one because we also have it on a bus bench at uh, in Che. <laughs> That's so, true. We do. Yeah, have we got to hold on to that one. Uh, how how have they not asked us for it back? Oh no, 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 no. no. They, I, so uh, to fill you in on this, they have. They asked me live oh. on one of the shows um, last year, uh, and I said the paperwork was extensive, and then they balked. So <laughs> I feel like you know they tried. I I, ca- I got yeah. them with the bureaucratic nightmare this time. So look, yeah. at, how does that taste? CBC medicine. Yeah, well, it, uh, inexplicably, we also own cursivepolitics.com. You know, there's not a lot of uh, <laughs> oh, no. of domains. Yes, we do. <laughs> Why have we not put that one to use? I it, we have it well, points to Western about, Center's content. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> does it actually? I'm going to look this up. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Okay, I think I well, like West of Center's content or West of Center.ca. West of Center's content. Oh, okay. So West of Center.ca points to the strategists. Curse of Politics points to West of Center. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Which is true, and and it wasn't really planned, but it's making me laugh when I think about it. That's pretty good. Yeah, oh, pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yep. What what else do we on Corey? Keep going, keep going. Uh, allmelons.ca. I don't oh. remember what. Because <laughs> <laughs> you guys were dissing all the melons, and I liked all the melons. All melons. Okay. You were. Yeah. I don't remember the context. You don't yeah. remember when I I was you know talking about how great melons are, and you guys hated all the melons. I would have preferred oh, all yeah. melons.ca in my in my particular arsenal. All melons. You were the one. You are the one who said all melons, and then I yeah, I just registered. I feel like most of these I have said. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. fine. Uh, yeah. I guess we're keeping it because yeah. Oh yeah, that one needs to be kept. Point. No uh, we got to use. One. Yeah. At some point. That's just. Yeah. I don't know what that's pointing at, but we should check that out. Is too. it a .ca or is yeah. that a .com? It's a .ca. Do we have all the .com on all. all, all uh, I don't I feel like think that could so, be a business opportunity if we did, but we don't. Just Canadian melons. I don't think we're gonna. Okay, keep going. What else do we have? Shahal Kabal. That was oh, a good one. that's a good one too. Yeah, that's yeah. a good that, one. We gotta that hold is, on to that. I've, I've spoken to George about that. He doesn't seem to like it as much as we do. Uh, Shahalkabal.com so, or .ca. What do we have? .com. I like yeah, that it's com. a .com because I feel like if George is ever out of politics and he wants to start a cult, Shahalkabal.com. Yeah. I mean, you'll you probably need to expand beyond the Canadian market. Um, so I like it. Let's keep it for him. I like that. I, I yeah, forget okay. the context. May have been about basketball, but. Uh, no, it was about him owning the Northeast. Okay, right. Well, perfect. Then, oh, okay, yeah. great. Jeez, okay. There you go. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Uh, we, we already talked about Carter's Monthly Nut.com. I mean, classic. So also that one the 50 release. Yeah. Uh, can we forward that to another <laughs> podcast's content? It currently forwards to a Google Calendar invite, so. Yeah, when uh, when I actually <laughs> reach my monthly nut, uh, which is really upsetting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what we... Okay, yeah. This is one I feel like we should have put on video. Hey, like, <laughs> okay, I think that, why are we doing this, Zane? What's yeah, the, wait, can yeah. we do a different show, Zane? <laughs> no, it's the yeah. first Sunday Zane. in November. Can you just do two more, two more for us before I? Okay, all right, I'll on. do. I'll do two more. Uh, Trudeau is fucking you. Yeah, we've talked we talked about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go on. 
Uh, Tellthedanielle.ca. We haven't even used that one. What is Tellthedanielle? That seems like... Well, because she has, she has Tell the Feds, and so we have Tell the Danielle. so, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. that's not bad. What should we do? We should actually start a campaign at Tellthedanielle.ca. I don't, you know... That would I take think, effort. Yeah, that would Don't, take a little Corey, bit Corey can you get to the airline-related content? I feel like we've got something to audit on the airline <laughs> side of things. Do we not? I feel like... No, we ha- we actually have nothing airline-related until now, which now I'm going to have to go purchase a bunch of them. But, yeah. Don't we don't, do we not have Flare Airlines, F-L-A-R-E? Do we not have anything related to any of the other airlines? It feels like kind of a fail on our part. We might have dropped those after the last audit. Oh, see, here's it's, the thing. Really we, need to, to we, need to, we need to grab more. Corey, please make that a task between now and when this episode is posted. Carter, we're going to move it on to our first segment, our first segment. Okay. Conventional wisdom. Stephen Carter, the UCP have had a convention. It was in Calgary. Yes, they did. There are three things that I want to kind of go through. Speaking of audits, let's do this as an audit. You're going to tell me whether this is important or not important. If it's important, we'll talk about it. If it's not important, we'll put it aside, Okay. So rapid okay, fire, let's just, let's just start Thanks this for way. giving me that kind of power. No, no problem, yeah. Carter. Um, the crowds, the board control, and the policies. Tell me which which of those are important, which are not important. Crowds important or not? Uh, crowds relatively. I mean, if we were to rank those, yeah, rank I, would, them for me. I would say that the the policies are the least important. Uh, the crowds the second least important, and the control of the board uh, by the. Uh, Take back Alberta is extremely Corey, important. Rank, rank so, up for me. Same, same thing. Crowds, just to contextualize it for people, Daniel Smith, UCP, record number of people, nearly 4,000 people has been reported um, at their at their first um, AGM after the election. The board, as Carter mentioned, take back Alberta, now getting more seats than they've had before on the board. And the policies, a list of them that we can go through to talk about that got passed by the membership, uh, the, the record membership. Rank them for me. What's most important? And then we'll start there. And then you can tell me why the others are, are, are fit, find their place. Yeah. Look, I think that we're going to end up in the same place, me and Stephen here. Normally, I would say that that kind of crowd is impressive. But I actually think based on how the convention went down, based on some of the coverage of the convention, even in the media, uh, conventional media with people like Don Braid, the crowd number, which would seem impressive in one context, is going to seem alarming perhaps, in the context in which we find it now. And that is when you get to the core of it because of of the zeal of who was there and ultimately who was there. So because Take Back Alberta came in such force, because ultimately what they did that will have an ongoing day-to-day effect is take control of the board, it's hard not to say it's the board, but it is somewhat tied to the crowd numbers. Like there is... There is a story here that's tough to kind of line up into your rankings of one, two, three, that is really about this rather large group of people that have come and truly have taken over the UCP, you know, completely at this point, absolutely completely. The leadership, all of the executive positions, the policies that they're putting forward, and the tension that will now have to be grappled with by Danielle Smith, by the Premier's office, by the MLAs, and frankly, by us as Albertans, is what does that mean uh, to be governed by such uh, a group that has such extreme opinions relative to the Alberta baseline? And look, lots of people outside of Alberta think a lot of things about Alberta, but we've said this a million times, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to underline it right now. Alberta is not actually, by and large, a particularly extreme place. You've got to keep in mind that the NDP won the the majority of seats in Calgary and Edmonton this last election here. And Danielle Smith, 
didn't mention half of what she's doing right now that has got everybody kind of up to an 11. And the things that she did, like the Alberta Sovereignty Act, were always deeply unpopular. And yes, we have apparently attention spans of goldfish in the province of Alberta, but that doesn't make us particularly unique in that context. But to have a government that is so not where the people of Alberta are is really, really fascinating. And I think the political ramifications of that are going to be huge, frankly, over the next... Carter, talk to me about this. So, you know, I'm not going to go into deep deep dive on boards. We've done that on a previous episode. Their value, how to take them over. In fact, I think we did an entire deep dive on how to take over a board from like, you know, in in, in a very generic sense, obviously not. Who knew that David Parker was actually listening? Yeah, well, Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome, uh, David Parker. Carter, take back Alberta. They now control the board. It, answer me two questions. The The question from the perspective of how important is this in terms of what we will see? And the second question, is there any denying their political influence going forward? Is that up for question anymore? That, that to me maybe is the most interesting question in terms of this PAC or third party group. Is there any denying their political importance? Maybe start there, and then let's talk about the importance—the uh, importance of of, of their, their positioning in the party and what we might see going forward. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that you could you could very easily say, "Well, this doesn't really matter all that much." I mean, the we we've we've moved to a leader centric model of politics in any case. Uh, so where the leader goes, that's where the the politics goes, and all these outside groups. Um, you know, they, they in the past they they flail about. Um, they've been very unsuccessful in getting uh, significant amounts of control historically. So, historic the history of this says not to worry, right? Because in general, um, boards don't matter that much. They they tend to follow leaders, and the leader is the you know they've got all the powers of government. They've got all the powers of the, of the caucus, and so because they control those two things. Um, they're much more powerful than the board. And that used to be the case. That was the case under Lougheed. It was certainly the case under Klein. Um, but then it's it's been eroding, right? And the difference now is who controls when the leadership review happens? Who controls what the leadership review looks like? Who controls um, who has all of the delegates that they're pumping in? I mean, when we did the leadership review to keep Redford, it was a tremendous amount of work. And we weren't faced with this level of organized opposition. Um, this level of organized opposition is basically unheard of. Um, most of the time, it is flushed out of the party, and they go and they form something like the Wild Rose or the Alberta Party before that. Or, I mean, Randy Thorkelstein has been involved in, I think, two or three different parties being set up. It's really quite amazing that they have taken over the government party. That 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 is the part that's amazing. And because of that... Um, I think that, that Danielle Smith is going to be far more wary uh, than she would have been in, in any, you know, than, than the average leader would have been uh, a few, I don't know, maybe a, a decade ago. I want to get into her strategy in a second. Corey, question to you. Any denying their political importance right now or their political influence or their muscle? Or do you think this really makes it clear that, that, that they are um, a force to be reckoned with? Well... I, I don't think you can deny it. I do wonder if collectively, and maybe even specifically, Stephen almost overstates their influence at this particular moment. Mm. Because, well, there's no question we've never seen 
in in modern politics, a, a backroom organization with this kind of heft push itself around. The reality is the premier is still the premier. The government's still the government. Those things don't actually get beholden to the party. That's obviously a dynamic for her to manage. Stephen's absolutely right because they control the levers of the leadership contest. That is that is something that they can throw around and that's some heft that they can move. But it's not it's not everything, everything, right? Like there are other components and there are checks and balances. And, I, you know, political parties are important, particularly during campaigns. I wouldn't want to suggest otherwise. But they don't actually get to run the show, you know. They don't. Um, yeah, I and- mean, let let's go and check with uh, with Jason Kenny on that because Premier Kenny, how do you, how do you feel about their ability? <laughs> well, to no, no, to, to, to this oh. point. To- no, no, hold on. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, yeah. Corey. Oh. I mean, I would say that the 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 coming out party for Take Back Alberta was probably the the Kenny leadership uh, vote, so to speak, in in some ways. But but Corey, just to add that context, Corey, but you were you were mid thought. Keep going. Well, let's let's be really clear though that Jason Kenny still actually won. Yes, and that oh, yeah. was a- and that was 51%. after like oh. what is fifty two, but like the perfect oh. storm, the perfect storm. Like I think we all acknowledge that there was not a way things could have gone worse for Jason Kenny in terms of tensions within party, COVID nineteen, all of the shit that he had to deal with there. And Jason Kenny still actually got the majority of the votes at that particular moment, which I think speaks to the control. It controls the wrong word. The influence that a leader has over its base membership. You know, even at the end of the day, we're talking about 4,000 people who showed up. The UCP is a lot bigger than 4,000 people. Danielle Smith barely won that leadership. There is more to the UCP than what we saw. But what's really fascinating is that we saw it in such like big, dramatic front of house ways like you even when you have backroom organizers you don't tend to see them take the stage the way david parker and take back alberta was you don't tend to see them say things like i came i saw i called mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? or, or a new you know, chapter a new chapter of alberta begins today sort of thing yeah yeah, yeah. He, he tweeted uh, when he weedy weechy right like it's ridiculous like who who does that like what is the high that this he, fellow is on but he feels like he's taking some notes from me actually I feel. Yeah. Some, I, I, I said it's feel much. bad about it. I can't remember where, but yeah. my God, Carter's ego real, has got some competition. Real Carter here. energy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there might be new bad boy in politics that's uh, oh, in yeah. the Alberta stage, Carter. How does Thank this, God we're taking some of the pressure off me. I, I, oh, yeah. I, I feel like his his beard is better than yours, Carter. I feel like that that's where, he, and he's much younger. This is a new and improved Carter. I'm telling you, there is the well, new Carter. Improved. Okay, improved. Listen. Mm. Tell me this, Carter. I need a piece of analysis before I get into strategy. Hold on. What else do you have to say? I feel like you set it up. I just wonder if he can get into the podcast rotation with us. I'm sure he can. I'm sure he can. Okay. Uh, we just I have mean, to ask. He technically, is is he a strategist or a wingman? Well, I mean, I, I, have I mean, he can he can he can apply at davidparker.ca, which is a, a website that I suspect <laughs> we. we <laughs> I sure is taken. I don't think it is taken, Corey. Uh, <laughs> if it's not taken and we don't have it by the end of this podcast, I don't even know. Who yeah, we I don't are. know who we are. I don't, I don't know, know who we are. Uh, this is this is actually the whole episode. Hey, how much money are we going to spend this podcast? Do you think? Like, not enough. Hey, by the way, I want to give a shout out to uh, CBC, our friend Rob Brown at CBC Calgary. He did a really good three and a half minute piece to give people a background on on Take Back Alberta that folks can find. But Carter, I need a piece of analysis from you before I can get into strategy. Here's one thing okay. that I've even struggled with. Um, because because I, I want to be both accurate and charitable, I guess, at the same time. Is Take Back Alberta Danielle Smith in the sense that are her values their values, like, actually? Or is she not that? 
and and I'm I'm struggling on such a simple question because she hasn't necessarily been all that consistent, for lack of a better term, the last little while, <laughs> right? And and, and, no, and she's bouncing all over. So so tell me tell me this. They seem more ideological than where she is, but there seem to be some intersection. Give me your analysis in terms of their relationship, because the follow-on question is her strategy alongside them and, what, and how she plays it. But if she is them, there's very little strategy to be played. So I want to get your sense on, on your analysis here. Oh, she's just willing to sell herself to that particular buyer. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's all kinds of politicians who have, who've attached themselves to groups that they feel will elevate them. Um, you know, the history of politics in Canada is a history of watching politicians like attach themselves to, um, to Quebec or attach themselves to Protestant, uh, the Protestants and, or, and the Catholics. Um, you know, there's, there's been a history of elections in, in Canada that have been won and lost by the virtue of how people, you know, attach themselves and sell themselves to these groups. And sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it does work. And in this particular case, uh, I think that Danielle has just simply decided that she's going to sell herself to this group. Um, it doesn't match with her some of her ideological principles. But I think at this stage, she's far more interested in getting elected and staying elected than she is in about doing anything with any particular value. Hmm. So, uh, you know, is, is this her group? I don't think so. Not the Danielle Smith I know. But the Danielle Smith I know was also thrown out of the Wild Rose Party because she wasn't right-wing enough. Um, she seems to be right-wing enough for them now. Corey, is, is that your analysis? This is the marketplace transaction. She's a, she's a buyer of what they're selling, either by force or by choice. Uh, or do you feel like it's a little bit more than that in terms of alignment of values, ideology, or, or even policy? I think that it's really tough to say it's one or the other neatly. I, I mm. they, they have got a symbiotic relationship going on. Obviously, Danielle Smith um, was a very essential part of Take Back Alberta's early victory. Danielle Smith herself was actively saying she would run against Jason Kenney, became one of the people who uh, was immediately somebody in the conversation. I think far more than we appreciated at the time, to be sure. Like you can run the tape on that, and we're like, "Ah, oh, that doesn't seem like that's going to go anywhere." Mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. were wrong, and and she was an open, active uh, individual challenging Jason Kenny uh, and his positions in these areas, and so uh, in some ways became the front of house for a lot of these same ideas. Obviously, a lot of that take back Alberta energy is what was required to get Daniel Smith over the top. We've already talked about the fact that it wasn't it wasn't very like it wasn't a very convincing win. It took many ballots, and if take back Alberta hadn't been involved, she would not be premier. So. It, there is a reality that's there too, but I think that as both of these organizations started to feel themselves, I mean, Daniel Smith's organization and Take Back Alberta, tensions were going to be natural because you have a situation where Take Back Alberta feels, hey, we got you there. And you have Danielle Smith thinking like, hey, I got myself here. And so I'm sure at this particular moment, there is, uh, you know, still the same things that brought them together at the first time, like in the first moment. But I guarantee you that both of them curse the other on a free hmm. regular basis. Carter, so here's my yeah. strategy question. She, yeah, okay. She's not in an election year. She's, in fact, in her first year. She's in her first, you know, number of months here. Does she need to spend any political capital distancing herself from these folks? Uh, does she need to spend any political capital uh, doing anything 
with with Take Back Alberta. Um, from a brand perspective, from an actual sort of policy perspective, uh, how would you play it if you were her? I mean, if Corey's right, you don't really even have to play it. I mean, you just simply do what you want to do and let the chips fall where they may. Um, and that would be great for Danielle if Corey was right. I mean, she'd be able to just do her own legislative policies. She'd be able to do what she wanted to do, like every other, basically every other leader's office has done. Um, you know, we we're watching it with with Trudeau. We watch it with all kinds of different politicians. They're they're in charge. Doug Ford doesn't need to go to cabinet all the time to get to get his marching orders. He just gets his marching orders and off he goes. Um, except in this particular case, Corey's wrong, as he tends to be. And this is this isn't a regular relationship. This is a group that 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 they know that they're in charge. They know that she can't win without them. And more importantly, they know they can put like the demonstration of being able to take over the board twice. That is a significant demonstration to do it one time when nobody expects it. That is a major achievement to do it two times back to back when people expect it. Mm -hmm. If you're in Danielle Smith's office right now, you're going back after this convention and you're saying they're going to want some of those things that were passed. They're going to want, you know, trans kids to, pronouns to be, you know, off the record. You, you know, th this is going to happen. And it, 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 may not be Danielle's thing. She may not want it to happen, but it will not matter because it's going to happen. She is going to have to do the things that they want her to do because um, they've got her right where they want her. And if you keep in mind, she was thrown out of the wild rose because she wasn't conservative enough. I don't think she's going to let that happen with this group. Corey, the, the phrase is, you know, used and tired, but keep your enemies close. But in this case, we're saying they're not enemies, but we're not necessarily sure if they're friends either. They occupy this interesting sort of, as you said, symbiotic terrain. What would your advice to her be in terms of how much, if any, political capital she spends on distancing and perhaps even bringing these folks closer in? I think they're friends, but I think they have different objectives, which overlap at times and don't at other times. And Danielle Smith is mindful of the fact that there there is a broader province. If she wasn't, she wouldn't have taken the steps that she took during the general election to try to moderate her behavior, right? And and in fact, she has made comments recently about like, oh, I'm really tired of this. I, I think she said like junior high stuff or something going on with some of the comments that were coming out of Take Back Alberta. Take Back Alberta's entire reason to exist is not even about the UCP. It's about we're going to bring a more hardline conservative view into all of these things, which is is not I mean, it's inherently in tension with the mission of trying to keep a government on the rails. I, I think that's just a reality that there is here. But I don't think that anybody look, – look, this moment matters, and I think that Albertans should be looking at this and saying, what does this mean? And Albertans should be thinking about how they want to make known to the government what they're willing to let the government do in these, these times. Because even with a majority government, the public can have their voice. We've seen that with pushing back against private health care, when pushing back against Prentice's uh, original approaches on gay-straight alliances, all of these things. Uh but it's just a moment. It's a moment not too far after the election where Danielle Smith's troops would have been totally fatigued. And if Danielle Smith is savvy, she's going to spend the next six months to a year really thinking about how she bulks up her own presence in the party. She now knows the kinds of numbers she needs to get to a convention because she knows the kinds of numbers Take Back Alberta is going to get. She's got to start chiseling away at that. And she's got to get them more in her camp than in their camp. 
And, you know, I think back to just after the election, I was talking to a senior conservative and he was saying to me, oh, this is, you know, hopefully now Danielle Smith can put some distance between herself and and take back Alberta, right? Like she can put Mm -hmm, her own stamp mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. the party. Those guys are going to drag us all into the ditch, right? I actually believe that they probably want to do that, right? At least as an insurance clause. They don't want to be so beholden to David Parker. But that's not the kind of thing you can do overnight. And it's going to take some time. And I think that's uh, now the work that she's got to find in front of her. Hey, Carter, can we talk about strategy a bit more? I want to move it on from this topic. And yes, I will get to the policies in a second, because I know there's going to be a lot of people being like, but the policies. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to show. <laughs> I kind of think they're irrelevant in a well, way. Okay, but like, go, like, go let's for talk it. about go it. For but... it. Go for it. Yeah. Go for it. And then I'll get to Carter on, on something else. Actually, you know what? Yes, go for it now, because I think my follow up to Carter can actually uh, include the policy question. Go, go ahead, Corey. Yeah, I just look. I think the policies are wild. I think that they the rationales are quite a trip to read. Uh, almost one by one, you think, what is this party when you compare it to conservative parties in the past? I think there were like maybe two or three that struck me as what would have been mainstream conservatism even like four years ago, right? Like this is this is like really quite something, and I'm really struck with how much they seem to import anxieties from the United States that yeah. simply yeah. didn't and, exist here, shouldn't can, exist can here. I, before you go, and can I just read a few of these, Corey? Just so can you can you hold that I, thought? Yeah, first? go for it. Let me just throw sure. a few on the table, just so people know what we're talking about. And if they don't, uh, abolition of diversity offices and universities, banning race as a factor in admissions, ending transfer of uh, of transgender convicts to women's prisons, purging school libraries, the right to prove uh, changes to kids pronouns, freedom of doctors to ignore their professional associations, a right to keep guns, and uh, a losing proposal on, on school vouchers. Just just a sampling, and I'm not even giving you the depth that Corey was mentioning and the justification. But these are some of the things we're talking about. Corey, back to you on this. Well, yeah. And when you go into the justification, there there seem to be fears about things that don't really exist in this country, right? Like, they are fully ported in narratives from, like, the Fox News crowd. Mm-hmm. And so... Like, when I say these policies don't matter, I I guess I mean it in two ways. One is, like, they're not in response to what's happening here in Alberta. So how can they be applied here in Alberta, at least in a sensible way? But there's a the, few, the second like thing, in, in the sense, there's a few, there's a few like, you know, the, the, the obviously the, the parental choice oh, one man. that they're framing. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And like, but like some of the stuff about like, we need to talk about, there's literally phrasing and I'm skipping some words in between, but like our God given right to guns is a policy yeah. that's in there. Right. Like this is not, this is not Canada. We don't have a second amendment, you know, it's not the, America. Like the, yeah, yeah. It, well, you know, it, it's just, it's, but it's just very, very matter, weird. Corey. But, I guess when you that's give your party point. over to these people, it doesn't matter what's sensible. But, but Corey's got a thesis. Well, that's, that's, irrelevant. That's, what, that's what he's trying to make. But that's my point. They're not. They're irrelevant. They're not irrelevant if they're going to be acted upon. And and we will see in a very short time. This is my this is my prediction. Write it down. Put it. You know. You know. T- note this spot the in, the, in the tape. Yeah. Um, this is when uh, we start to see. Um, you know, whether or not you're right or I'm right. And I think we're going to see legislation um, affirming parental rights. We've already had a, I've already done my monologues on parental rights versus parental responsibilities. Um, Yeah, but Stephen, I'm not disputing. That's not what I mean when I say, that's not what I mean when I say it's irrelevant. That's not what I mean it's, when I say it's irrelevant. How do you mean it's well, it's going when to be I, pretty fucking relevant to the people who are When I say impacted. the specifics are irrelevant, I mean it's because the entire thing talks about an ethos and a worldview that has now taken over massive swaths of this political party's base. It it actually has nothing
nothing to do with these individual policies. There's going to be some of these things, some of them that don't even apply. There's going to be a hundred others that weren't even passed as policy conventions. See, for example, like the solar panels. Oh, the solar panel one was crazy. It's like, we need a pause on solar panels because they're going to destroy farmland, which is a widely debunked thing. But yeah, my point is, it's not about the specifics. Step back and see the whole picture. Like the individual this, uh, nope. policies talking about whether they're good or bad, they're basically all bad. They're irrelevant. What you need to keep focused on is not the specifics. We can't sit here and argue about the merits of a policy of a 15-minute city or not. That's what I mean. What I'm saying is you've got to see the whole fucking picture here. This is a party that has been entirely consumed, to your earlier point, Stephen, by this, by this particular strand of conservatism. Carter, address the policies and, in fact, address my, my follow-up question I was going to give both of you, which is, um, and I'm glad you put the policies on the table, Corey, because it actually allows a few options for this particular question, which is, how should the opposition react and what should they go after? Policies, individually or as a package, seem interesting. The board, you've got Danielle Smith's leadership and the phraseology and even her speech, which we haven't even gotten to, but it was largely rehashed from the throne speech, if I can kind of give it that um, from a, from a, both the content and tonal perspective. So, Carter, your thoughts on Corey's response, but then get me started on strategy for the opposition here as well, please. Well, I think you want to really quickly figure out what your total narrative is. Like, what is it you want to do? Like, one of the things you see the the, the opposition doing is, is bouncing back and forth between individual policies all the time, right? One thing, one thing, one thing, one thing. And always you, you never really get to see the full connection. What is it that we're trying? What is the story that we're trying to tell? And the story that we should be trying to tell is this is a party that's been taken over by extremists. And these extremists are driving the province the wrong direction. And we're going to stand up and oppose it, not on each individual level. You know, if we go with Corey's point of view, and, and he's not wrong, he's just really poor at explaining it. Um, the, if you go with Corey's point of view, what you, what you need to do is you need to explain um, how each individual part idea is, is coming from extremists. The only thing that I think I liked out of the entire weekend was Danielle Smith saying that uh, she wants to see rail between Calgary and Edmonton. Um, you know, fantastic. We got one, one smart idea. Everything else should be tied to uh, the extremists that are coming after the province. Cool. The extremists who want to create a province that we don't want to live in. Corey, the, the, the opposition has been spending, at least observably, a lot of their time, this is the opposition NDP, spending a lot of their time on the pension plan. Should they just keep mm-hmm. that going? It seems like that seems to be, a, a, you know, a, 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 to Carter's point, something that they're being consistent on, extending uh, beyond perhaps just a simple news cycle. Or is there meat on the bone here, so to speak, coming out of the convention that should be part of their focus and their narrative uh, in the coming weeks and months? Yeah, look, I think that it is so easy to get distracted by some of these policies, but I guess I would have two cautions for an opposition that wants to make a lot of hay about them. Like, there is a bigger story, and you can use this as a proof point, but it it takes nothing for Danielle Smith to make the comment that Jason Kenney made about, I believe it was an abortion resolution. I could be wrong, but there was a resolution that came out of a UCP convention with Kenney was leader who said, like, I'm just not going to do that. Right. Like that is the leader's prerogative. And so if you go too far out on the ledge, you actually give Danielle Smith an opportunity to look moderate, look like she's reining in the parts of her party that are very extreme. How high of a risk is that in your mind? I mean, it it depends. Mm. Like, but but that said, and you want to, you know, you want to stay focused. It, It depends on the issue, but you want to stay focused on the things that are actually moving 
with the public. And I think that one of the things about the CPP is we know it is likely to be something that is a little bit more significant and resonant. Doesn't mean you entirely ignore it. Uh, and certainly you want to use proxies to kind of push the premier onto the record on some of these things. But you, you're going to have to let her make a move before you go in too heavy, because otherwise she can just retreat from them. Right. So yeah. Carter, Carter, you're eager to get here, in here. The, go ahead. Yeah. The point is, though, um, go after things that are actually happening. You don't need to go after things that are hypothetical. You don't have to think, go after things that are coming up in, in, at some point in the future. Um, you, you've got bills in front of the legislature. And this, I think, is one of the things for, for opposition parties in general. Uh, in general, go after things that are real and are actually happening. Don't go after things that are hypothetical or could happen. People generally don't worry about hypothetical or could happen. They, they worry about things that are happening. And it sounds like from this convention, there's going to be a ton of different things that are actually happening that will reinforce the point that the province is being taken over by extremists, that the premier's office has been taken over by extremists. You don't need to make shit up. You don't need to go after... Um, other things, you don't have to go after things that might happen in the future. Go only after, go only after things that are actually happening. We're going to leave this segment there, move it on to our next segment. Our next segment, Corey, are you here for it? Are you here for it? It's called Life Comes at You Quick. We have to talk about Justin Trudeau. It was, oh. <laughs> it was, it was a trickle and then it was a few it was a few voices, and then it was fractures within the party. And now, Corey, this past week, it seems to be everywhere that Justin Trudeau. It, this is the way it always ha- we like again run the tape. Yeah, no, and, and let's yeah. take a victory lap, Steven. Let's. Take I think a we should. Life comes at you quick, Carter. That's why it's called that. And and, and I want to just start here um, with the top line question: Is it over? From your strategist brain, less so your analyst brain, let's just start here. Is it over? Because I want to actually spend a few minutes on strategy for Justin Trudeau, helping him out. And helping could be helping him see the door and see the picture, or helping him could be a final pathway. But I need to ask you the top line question with everything you've heard, everything you've seen, the Coletto numbers that are out there, the narratives that are assembling, your past history and seeing how the downfall happens. Corey, I'll maybe start with you. Is it over? If it's not the end, we can see the end from here, right? Like this, I, I, your point is a really important one, Zane. In the summer, at the time of the cabinet shuffle, yes. we were still saying like, yeah, but nobody's going to force him out, you know? Like that was mm-hmm. still a conversation mm-hmm. that was out there in the public in a big way. That's not the conversation that's out there anymore. You have uh, you have voices that are a little bit more a little bit more willing to challenge the status quo. You have pundits who are just going out and saying, this is not really going to work. You referenced a poll by Abacus, David Coletto mm-hmm. uh, was doing media about, it, there was a Toronto Star article about it, which effectively says the liberals, like the, the liberal voters watch. Are saying, are saying no, not him. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it certainly has, has become a roar. It's no longer a whisper. It's no longer the muttering in the hallways. Um, and it's following the most predictable of paths. So right around, we kind of anticipated that in the you winter. You said October. No, no, January, you guys said October. 
Oh, there you go. Good. Can for I us. remember this? You said you said if <laughs> if, this, so if this sticks yeah, around like this in October, I'm I'm hitting the panic button uh, or some version of that. Um, yeah. To be clear, Corey, keep going. Well, here we yeah. are, and we said that it would start with people saying like, "Look, uh, he's he's not being served well by the people around him." So that's always kind of like the next big domino to fall, like a staff shakeup. I 100% predict at this point if he's not just going to resign in the next two months. If he's looking to hold on, I expect kind of a more significant staff shakeup to occur. And um, yeah, and then there are no more levers to pull. You have shuffled your cabinet. You've changed your team. I'm, I'm predicting this happens at this point. And then what? What do you have? You have only yourself. So this is the trajectory that takes us to a leader taking a, as we say in Canada, walk in the snow, deciding no longer to be leader in the next couple of months here. It really does feel like it's on that course right now. It doesn't feel like there's an easy way off that course. There's not... You would have had to have played a lot of error-free ball for the last couple of months with poll numbers this low, but you're not. You're fucking up, left, right, and center. Um, We talked about the carbon thing ad nauseum. There's been a lot of people who've reported a lot of acrimony in the Liberal caucus over this particular matter. Mm -hmm. It's now out in the open, like like we're in open descent times here, and there's not a lot of paths back from open descent. Very few leaders manage to do it. Some do. Christy Clark immediately comes to mind. Very few do. Carter, is it over? Yeah, I mean it's over, uh, and and we 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 told we said it was it was going to over when he did his last shuffle. We said that, that he needed to be able to uh, start to see a recovery um, because. His confidence alone that only he could beat Pierre Polyev in the next election wasn't going to defeat Biden-esque. Pierre Polyev. It's yeah. Joe Biden esque. You know, oh, I mean, get just, to that. I'll just tie it driving, in. Just driving towards failure. Um, and parties don't like failure. Parties, you know, really resent the idea that they're going to lose. Uh, you know, imagine that you're sitting in caucus right now and you look to one side and you look to the other side and you know that half of you are gone. Like, that's not a very comfortable feeling. I mean, yeah, you know, if you're, might if you're, be charitable based on the polls. Yeah, yeah I mean, here, that's your best case scenario right now. This guy's got to go. Um, you know, so Corey's, to Corey's point, if we, if we do not see a staff shuffle in the next, I don't know, um, like it has to happen before Christmas. Yeah. So if we didn't see a staff shuffle before the Already before Christmas, second week of November, yeah. then anticipate that there the the staff that's remaining with him are writing his resignation. So here, yeah, I agree with that. It would be end of session, two weeks. That's when the staff would write their yeah. letters of it's now time for me to move on. Like it won't be like a public firing. Like this will be nope. people who are given the opportunity to leave on their own two feet. Give me a sense. Okay, so I, I, you guys, I sense what the next step is if he's going to stay or if he's going to try to get one final shot at it. And when I say shot, I mean you know have one final go at it internally uh, from a let's see if we can rebound any of this. But, Corey, the one question that still remains from the summer is the question of who. Who's next? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, so and, that's another interesting so, development of this week, Yes, though, and this, uh, this is what I want to get into. Actually, just how about you get into it, rather than me trying to tee it up. Go ahead. I'll uh, just say, like, Mark, Mark Carney, for one, is now actively saying things like, oh, I have not closed the door, and I think it would be interesting because I understand how markets work. Lifetime politicians don't necessarily know mm-hmm. how markets work right? You actually are hearing what was backroom chatter become media chatter. Like, it is quite a step, I have to say, 
for Mark Carney to say the things that he said to the media. That that's a conscious decision. Give an exclusive to Marika Walsh at the Globe. Like it was like I'm going to give you an exclusive. It wasn't just a hey, this is like it was planned, orchestrated. Someone got him. That's a that is a decision made by somebody who thinks there is for sure a leadership contest coming, right? And j- no longer worries about how the current leader might feel about such comments. Because the pretty last, fucking last wild time thing he showed up was six months ago, and just yeah. before uh, he, he was going to the Liberal convention and, and just said in six different ways that he still supports the prime minister. Very little of that this time. Well, he's now, and he's like, don't get me wrong, he hasn't actively said Trudeau must go or anything no, he like that, not. but he has now actively presented himself as an alternative to the sitting prime minister. He can pretend he didn't, but that's exactly what happened this week. Carter, do you agree yeah, that that's and, the analysis here? And and uh, what I'd oh, also yeah. say that that's happened this week, and it really seems to have crystallized this past week, is that the, and the Coletto numbers can, can prove this over a course of time, that it's not necessarily about who's next, you know, the liberal voters just want Trudeau gone, right? The who question, yeah. they're happy to figure that out. Like, they're happy to kind of be like, fuck it, we don't care. It just can't be this guy. Versus the big hang-up, perhaps in the summer and even earlier on, where there was initial rumblings of Trudeau's weakness, was that, well, he's better than anyone else that could potentially replace him. Uh, that qualifying statement, Carter, seems to have now been removed from the equation. Well, I mean, that statement's just patently false at this stage. I mean, there are very few people who could do worse than Trudeau at this stage because he's in such a negative situation. He has watched the party, uh, he has led the party as it has gone into a free fall in the polls. And there's a time that you can say, well, the polls aren't everything, right? There's the polls shift, polls change, polls move. All of these things are true. Polls do do all of those things. But when you've got a picture over time that is telling this consistent a story, the polls aren't going to get you out of this. The, 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 you need a significant shift to get out, and the significant shift at this point is the prime minister's head. That's the only thing that's, that's available to them. Uh, again, you know, you, you try and figure out what could you do. Well, what are the what are the other options? Mm. All you know, we could do a cabinet shuffle. Well, we just did a cabinet shuffle. We could we could get rid of some staff. Yeah, you can get rid of some staff, but who's left to get rid of? Who's who's the person high enough on the uh, on the list that actually is in a position to, you know, in some fashion, signal that the the the, the thing's going to turn around? We you know, our last episode was called the D Team. Um, by the way, Corey, genius work on the D team description. If <laughs> if if people haven't uh, got Patreon, uh, what are you doing? Like this 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 episode alone. And and for those and Patreon. for those that you do, please uh, unsubscribe so we can get to nine ninety nine and then get back to a thousand yeah. so we can buy um, another domain don't, name. Don't okay. It has no impact on me. Yeah. I, people won't do it. People <laughs> they might do it. Okay, you're don't do bitter it. because you're getting paid less, but you're getting paid oh, less the, because the, you don't do as the many pay episodes. Equity episode is coming. Okay, uh, <laughs> I am underrated, more undervalued, and way too good for this show. Okay, keep going. That's fine. Okay. That's fine. I should be paid. Okay. I should be paid um, triple. I should get my agent on this. You should barely be paid at all. <laughs> Anyways, my point. Wow. My point is this: there's there's so f- there's so little left to do. Um, there is no. Rep- I mean, if you can't replace Jerry Butts in two, well, how many years? We has it did. Been? You guys did, did an entire episode maybe three months ago, saying, "Oh, maybe it was less than that." Find another Jerry. I don't think any moves have been made to do that. No, it's and and there's no other Jerry to get. Oh. So it's the only thing left is for him to leave. It's a sad state, but he had a good run. He had a very good run. 
you know, it's 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 for anyone who's wondering um, about the timestamp. I don't have it in front of me, but um, Carter did tell a racialized man that he should be paid barely nothing uh, just a few seconds ago, and I just want everyone to note note that. Hey, 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 Corey. Uh, Carter brings up something. I I I don't want to get into a whole stretch. I'm still struggling with the racialized man uh, well, thing. Who who is it? Who did I do that to? Oh, it's so nice that you see me as one of your own. Um, yeah. Corey, what should yeah. the strategic goal for Trudeau be here? And I could get into a whole strategy episode, but I actually want to focus on the goal, right? I want to focus yeah. on what the goal should be. So let's just say it's either him leaving or not leaving. I actually kind of don't care at this point. He must acknowledge that the walls seem to be coming in on him, that that the, the options become more narrow. Um, so what are you trying to save, right? If if the proverbial sort of like ousting is happening, is it about legacy? Is it about final points of policy? Is it about protecting your people? What should his strategic focus and goal be in this case with, with the fact that, you know, this is the current scenario? Because there's many things that one can focus and there's many distractions. Sure. Um, what do you spend your last ounces of political capital on is perhaps a different way to ask it. That's an interesting question. And, you know, as Stephen was talking, and I just sort of reflexively, as he does say these things like it's over, it's done, these very absolute comments, I'm I'm really torn. I'm of two minds because part of me agrees 100%. Like, listen, this trajectory is so fucking clear. It's, it's really hard to argue. And as I've already said, it's really hard to come back from it. I, I just don't know that it's 100, 100% done. Um, but I think one of the things that... He needs to understand, I, by he, I don't mean Stephen, I mean uh, Justin Trudeau here. He needs to understand what his goal is here, because he is chasing a number of goals at the same time, or at least it feels that way right now. So if his concern is legacy, well, then last week was about the dumbest thing I've ever seen, right? Mm-hmm. because he's blowing up one of his core pieces of policy. If the next person, the next man or woman did it, that would have way less damage to his legacy than him doing it right now. Uh, if his goal is to hang on, well, then he's not exactly playing that particularly right either, is he? You know, like, because he's not doing the things you need to do to hang on, which tend, uh, you know, fundamentally to be a reshuffling of things in a more material sense and, a, and building towards, like, a strategy. Like, it, it feels like he's just running too many scenarios at the same time. And while I think it's important in politics to keep your options open, like, this is advice I'd give to anybody in almost any strategic situation, right? Like, you don't want to... You don't want to senselessly narrow the options in front of you. At a certain point, you have to ask yourself if by not narrowing, all you're doing is is kind of blowing yourself up. It's just up. burning like you're not, on, on, on nothing, nothing yeah, material. Yeah, like you're using capital to keep everything open, and as a result, you're not moving in any forward in any direction. Yeah. Well, and I think so that there, there that's are step sins, one. Yeah, he's yeah, got to figure out what he that, wants to do. What, 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 that, what would that be yours? What would your suggestion be, Carter? Be more prescriptive for me. Uh, for for him? him, what would I, I've just listed you legacy policy people. I don't even know if that that's, that's no, not an exhaustive list. There's no time left for legacy. There's no time left for uh, figuring out how you best get out of this. Um, the truth of the matter is that this thing is over now. And are you saying he's, he's got, got no political capital left to do any of these things? It's over. It's over. That is bold. It's that is over. Bold. Walk me, Let walk me through. You, no, no, walk, how long does he have before he has to step down in your mind? Because in mine, he has six or eight weeks. Yeah, in my mind, it's the end of February. Just because there's, so you know, he's got. You, so what do you? What can you accomplish? You can't put money much more onto the order paper for this session. You're not going to be in your session before, when you come back after Christmas. Yeah, well, it's over. There's no so, legacy so leg- left. Okay, okay, okay. Can, can I? Can I actually? This is what I wanted to spend the time on. So legislatively, it's over. 
Okay, I'm going to push that aside. Uh, is it over in every other category? So legislative is just one part of it, right? What's he going to do? Go to India? Like, you know, like is he going to do a giant, uh, is he going to create world peace? Like, imagine what the outcomes would be. He doesn't have those, uh, you know, people who are on their way out, you know who knows you're, you're on the way out? Everybody. Everybody fucking knows you're on the way out. You're toxic. People can sniff the, your your impotence. They and they smell it and they know that you're impotent. Sniff your impotence. <laughs> Sniff your impotence is quite the phrase. Yeah, Stephen. Uh, but when you add yeah. when well, you add .ca to it, it's quite the domain. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Zane! Like, which, Zane which, pissed uh, because we're getting. By the way, I, and as, as, as I mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, Rob brown has got an excellent three and a half minute video on Take Back Alberta, which is uh, available at Sniff Your Impotence. Uh, .ca. <laughs> I thought that for sure would have been at disgraced former leader brown.ca, but that's no, no, no. That's yeah. that's at sniffyourimpotence.ca. Uh, okay, okay. Go ahead. look. Oh God! You know it's so interesting to me. I, okay, you are struggling with the this, liberal, aren't you? I am str- struggling well, with Carter's absolutism. I am too. Well, here's here's the challenge that I I am just going to articulate. Right, one, the reason why his absolutism. I'm not so 100% sure about is this. It's Justin Trudeau's party in any way that particularly matters right now, even if he has lost the confidence of people around him in increasing amounts here. Like, like I I was very active, of course, in the federal liberal party for, for most of the aughts and, you know, the early 2010s there. I'm not really anymore. And, and in part because the party has kind of shifted in ways that are not fully, I'm not super enthused about all of the time. I'm not opposed to them other times here, but the Liberal Party of the past and the Liberal Party of today aren't actually that similar. Like the Liberal Party of the past, the one that I think about, and Paul Wells was writing a little bit about this in the last week, which has got me thinking about it, was was this really weird, messy, like factional thing that had all sorts of cynical components, ideologically like pure components and like the intermingling of them and these regional interests and this mm-hmm, trying to mm-hmm, balance. Mm-hmm. And you'd have these personalities who you're like like it's so weird it's to a think concession of it now, but there was like, party and like in its realist sense there was a pro-life caucus yeah, was. in the liberal party very recently right like there were hard right-wing conservatives in the liberal party under that liberal banner at certain points there were also very left-wing people in it and it's not that anymore like it is it basically got beaten down to a nub after the subsequent elections of dion and then ignatieff and then kind of fumbled through the ray periods and then Justin Trudeau rebuilt the whole fucking thing in his very shallow image. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend liberals out there, but like it became the party of like hope and great hair and, you know, we're going to be this moderate middle and we're going to do, do, do know, the do things that... Do you not actually that, think it actually became quite a progressive juggernaut in the time well, that, it, that I, it held power? Yeah, I do because I think that that was like the West Wing storyline that was called for at that mm. particular moment. I'm going to be totally frank. And, you know, that insincerity is part of the thing that sort of bothered me. And um, you don't think that's who Justin so many Trudeau things, is to, at his core? Well, for fuck's sake, like, let's talk about all of the policy promises that were made that were walked back. I don't even know if I'd be able to get past the electoral reform cynicism. I don't even know if I would get there because do you remember the refugee, the Syrian refugee thing, how outraged he was during the election and how we had to do more? And then he won the election and 30 fucking seconds later, he changes his number to the number that he called basically Stephen Harper a racist for putting out there. So yeah, I think that this has been his party to the core for the last bit here for a very, very long time. And so it's hard for me to imagine that this party is somehow going to reject the organ that 
that it is, you know, like it's, it's just like a penis. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting animated here, but I got to tell you, like, it's hard for me to imagine that it's like, oh yeah. Okay. So Justin Trudeau's done. So we're now we're just going to go back to the way it was. There is no going back to the way it was. The Liberal Party no, is a fundamentally defined, different beast. It will do what every what every political party does, and that is be defined by the leader once it's created by in the by the new leader. The new leader needs to come in and have the opportunity to define it in their own in their own image. And here's the thing, Corey, like the absolutism is there because it isn't his party anymore. That's gone. His party is over. It's not know. his party. It's it's only his party. Like I, I, I just like, have to the, agree know, with Corey on this, Carter. It's his party until it isn't, and and this and it's gone. You know what, guys? A marriage is working <laughs> until a marriage doesn't work, and this marriage. And then you working. do a cabinet shuffle. Yes, and we then know. Yeah. it's over. It's over. I don't know, man. Like it's it's gonna be an interesting one to look Write back down, at on Corey. six. Uh, so l- l- let down. me go back to Carter before I end this episode with the with the final uh, segment. Carter, does he have enough political capital to do anything? And if so, what? He has enough political capital to get into the into twenty twenty four. That's it. Just time. That's all he's got. That, that would be your advice if you if he if you were sitting down with him today. That would actually be your advice face to face. You're telling me. My advice to him would be: This is it's time to go. How do you want to leave? Do you want to be? Do you want to be dragged out of your bed? You know? Do you want to yeah, lose this, this the is election? This is helpful. This is political capital that he spent. How do you want to leave? Keep going. Do you want to do you want to leave do you want to leave under your own steam or do you want to be you know essentially handed hand the keys over to Pierre Polyev there is no means available to recover from this there is no means there is nothing there is no legacy to be built first of all politics isn't about building a legacy it's about earning a legacy so you don't get to just build it this is um they're coming for him and they're going to get to him, whether they get to him before the election or they get to him after the election. And it is infinitely better for him not to be the guy, you know, the captain uh, going down with this ship. It's just infinitely better for him. Corey, you, you, wanted to, you wanted to comment on this around the how to leave, perhaps? Yeah, well, look, I think it's always good for a leader to leave before they're told to leave. And I don't know that just because he's told to leave, he would have to leave. But it probably makes sense to stop and say, realistically, reasonably, clear-eyed, can I turn this around? And you've got to think about your legacy in more than the number of elections you've won, trying to beat dad's record, that kind of bullshit here. His legacy, he's got to think of expansively, is that he has changed the Liberal Party. He has created a Liberal Party that is in many ways more progressive, I would argue is in many ways less robust, right? You know, certainly not the big tent party that it was at one point, but he's changed that party. And he's changed this country. There's a lot of things that the Liberal Party has done. I've said this before, and I'm not walking back from it with my shots at him here. He is probably the most transformational prime minister of my lifetime, you know, for good and for ill. He's Except done... Brian Mulroney, who really... Yeah, I mean, but you know, it's it's interesting even that he's in the conversation for that. After the 90s and the early 2000s and the late 2000s and early 2010s, where governance was kind of... You know, steady as she goes, moderate, not doing big swing stuff. But they, you know, he's got to think about how he sustains that. And his legacy is not going to look that 
great. And I think in many ways, it will be seen as a bit of a blip in electoral politics if the Liberal Party goes back to being as irrelevant as it was the minute after the election where Michael Ignatieff came in third, right? He's got to think about his legacy. And even if if, if the Liberal Party looks like it's going to lose, even if you don't believe it's winnable, You've got to salvage as much of this as you can if you want to have a legacy that sustains going forward. We're going to leave that segment there. Move it on to our final segment. Carter, our over-under in our lightning round. Um, We do it for you. We do it for you, Carter. Thank you. Carter, you know, the same conversation or a similar one is starting to happen in the United States because David Axelrod, the former Obama uh, campaign veteran, has come out and said, uh, wondering, musing, I guess, less so saying, uh, if Joe Biden should still be the Democratic nominee. It's all but, you know, uh, expected that he's going to be until it isn't. Overrated or underrated in your mind, Carter, that that Biden is getting questioned about his second poll numbers against a um, surging Trump. I think I think it's a big thing. I mean, I think that any time a sitting president is questioned like this, but you know, I think that there were other people who pointed out articles that, that questioned whether or not Obama could be, could even conceivably be be Romney around the same time. Uh, this isn't the highlight of a of a president's uh, you know electoral strategy. This is a low point. Uh, I think most presidents are at the low point at this time, and. Uh, you know, hopefully Biden pulls it through and, you know, doesn't fuck up too much because the idea of President Trump coming back is just, I mean, I can't believe that people in the United States are even thinking about this. Corey, overrated, underrated, the calls for Biden to potentially reconsider being the Democratic nominee heading into uh, 2024. I think the one call is overrated, but I think this is a really underrated and really important question. And it's not dissimilar, as you said, to what we were talking about previously, because there seems to be a belief that Joe Biden has that only he can beat Trump because he's beat Trump in the past. Mm. And I just don't buy that for a lot of reasons. And if it looks like he's going to face the kind of electoral environment that he's going to face, I'm not saying he can't beat Trump. I'm saying... Why are you tying one hand behind your back, Democrats, electing or making your nominee such an unpopular leader at such an existential time for American democracy? You've got to be putting your best foot forward here. You've got to be giving yourself every opportunity you can to make sure Donald Trump does not return to the White House, because this is not about four years at this point. It's not. It's just not. And if that means you've got to start exploring other options, if that means you need to have a robust nomination process where you can have, you know, the Newsom's duke it out with the uh, Jeffries or whoever, right? Like, let's just, let's just have this out and let's find a nominee that maybe Americans can get at least a sense of a clean slate with, because it just looks like too much fatigue, too much baggage, too much. And it's time for Joe Biden, who's had one hell of a career and did beat Trump once to also know when to leave before he's told. Corey, I'm going to stick with you for this next one. Justin Trudeau in Washington, D.C., when asked about what Canada should be doing with the current situation in, in Israel and, and Palestine, uh, says, you know, we need to cease, and then, of course, pauses. Uh, we need to see a humanitarian uh, corridor and exit. He kind of has this Freudian slip. Yes or no? Should we be reading into that more and around his true intentions and, and what he may want, or are you just giving him a pass on this particular one? I mean, I, I in general have thought it's like, it's just the kind of thing you always see in international relationships. 
people do it because it's how you find a way to get people to agree to things that they've rejected before. But like, what is a humanitarian pause if not a ceasefire? Like, a ceasefire literally means you stop firing. It's it's kind of all there in the word, right? So, why do you think the semantics? Is this like an international law thing that maybe I don't am not illuminated on? I mean, it, that's that's part of it. Like a ceasefire has like it means, means certain yeah, things. I but I think in, in it's also because people have said like we're not gonna you know we're not gonna cease fire, right? And so like you. Ceasefire is all about stopping shooting. Again, literally in the words there. Humanitarian pause changes the onus to the humanitarian actions that would occur. So it's not about stopping firing. It's about finding space for humanitarian activity. And so this rebranding serves not just that kind of legal purpose, but it serves a purpose in the court of public opinion in the way you're going to talk about these things. Do you think humanitarian pause is a a comms branding guy? Just from that strict, like, narrow vantage point? Good or bad for my- I think it's good. I, I, not because I think it's poetry, but because it allows people to... Uh, with communications, you're always sort of thinking about your goals. And one of the goals here, obviously, is to allow people to get to yes. That's part of a quarantine. Sometimes it means also saying things in a way where people don't instantly have to say no. So the most famous example of this, of course, is the Cuban Missile Crisis, where there was a blockade of Cuba. Mm-hmm. Well, a blockade is an act of war under the rules of war, right? So they didn't call it a blockade. Because if it was a blockade, well, then all of a sudden it's an act of war against Cuba. All of a sudden Cuba's allies need to Be triggered, yeah, to, to act right? accordingly. Yeah. So they called it a quarantine. What the fuck was the difference? None. But it allowed people to make the decisions they needed to do, and it gave the space for a diplomatic solution. So words matter a lot all the time. And they matter a lot in particular in international politics, where sometimes doors get closed because of words, doors open because of words. So I I applaud people looking for different ways that they can get people to yes on the things that they want to do Ultimately. that could save people, that could help civilians. Carter? I do. Are you reading more into the, the Justin Trudeau struggling to say ceasefire and pausing halfway? Or you're just saying, it's a stupid question, Zane, move on. I mean, I, I don't read very much into it from the... Uh point of view of what Trudeau was intending. Um, I think that the the truth is that the international community is trying to figure out a way um, to minimize, I'm not even going to say stop civilian deaths. I don't think that that's actually the the goal that the international community has has settled upon. I think they're trying to minimize uh, civilian deaths, understanding that they know who the, the Israeli government is. They know um, what the politics of the United States are. And with those two big variables so very well known, um, I think the best we can hope for is a humanitarian corridor, right? Whatever words are created to get people to stop killing civilians for a little while. Carter, final question as we, as we end the episode. In the UCP convention, there is an article written, CBC, Jason Markosov has a good piece of analysis on the CBC. Uh, At the end of the article shows a photo of a woman shopping for more Alberta, less Ottawa t-shirts or sweatshirts in this case that were being sold at the UCP convention. Now, and and, and the the, the, kind of the subtext on this photo said like these sold out relatively quickly, which makes me ask you this question, Carter, political merch overrated or underrated in your mind? 
We've seen a rise of it with the online shopping ability, with the ability to brand yourself, make people walking, talking billboards for your campaign or your movements, or in this case, for a slogan um, that is nicely designed. But political merch, in your mind, as a campaign practitioner, overrated or underrated as we close out the episode? Underrated. I think that people uh, need to be able to show which tribe they belong to. And, you know, being able to buy merch that that clearly identifies which team they're on, which side they fight with, the, the groups that they're with. Um, you know, now, the design of it, Zane, was fucking horrible. Uh, I wouldn't be caught dead in that sweatshirt. But um, it, there's actually weird stuff about how bad design works really well for right-wingers. Um, yet another failing of the far right. Corey, do I have to start with the, the design for you? Uh, on this particular sweatshirt. And we, we, we could describe it to people or they could see it at morealbertalessottawa.ca. I mean, it's there. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's completely... <laughs> to God, Zane. It's completely our choice. We could describe Jesus. it or we could send them to morealbertalessottawa.ca <laughs> so they can see it. Corey, uh, take, a, take a crack at the design if you'd like. But more, more importantly, I do want to ask, get a, an answer from you. Overrated, underrated on political merch. I mean, people do buy it to signal their support of a cause, signal the fact that they're in a tribe. I fucking hate it. I think a lot of normal, I'm not saying I'm a normal person. I'm saying in addition to me hating it, I think a lot of normal people see it as a big red flag that you should run away the other way because this person is going to suck. They're going to be boring. They're going to be so much on one side of an issue. They're not going to have any kind of thoughtful conversation. My personal feeling is the only thing worse than political merch for your body is political merch for your car, right? Bumper stickers. But uh, you know, people like it. People want it. People want to show uh, their causes. They want to express their causes. This is not new. This is the same reason people buy like 10 tree shirts to show that they bought a shirt that then resulted in people planting 10 trees. You know, uh, we we wear our causes all of the time. We do. Are you wearing 10 tree right now? Carter? I'm wearing 10 tree oh right now. Oh, my God. Now. <laughs> You okay, Corey? We need to start um, a company. It's called Negative Ten Tree. Okay, what we're doing is, is for every is shirt you buy, we actually no. go out and we kill ten trees. Affinity matters to people. Affinity just hang on a second. People. Okay, is this a good time or a bad time to promote the merch store at www.westofcenter.ca? Uh, oh, yeah. That's true. We sell we sell shirts. Although you want to know something? Yeah. And because of my personal tastes on this, yeah. none of our shirts say have the strategist logo on. Them. This is true because. I would be very embarrassed to wear the logo of a Well, we podcast. do have that baby shirt that's got the strategist logo on. <laughs> that was a great shirt. We did, that's yeah. Good. We've yeah. also got posters that face on your baby. It, So, I mean, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> but that's, you know what? I don't know why I draw that line. Because I would actually be fine with, like, political, like, a poster or something it, on a wall in my office It could be because we something. don't take this thing seriously. I think. Uh, Maybe. No, but, like, I'm just, I don't know why I personally draw that line. I'm fine with political merch in your home office or whatever. The idea that you need to walk around and make yourself a billboard for the cause, that's... I mean, I, I don't well, okay. want to judge you. No, let me ask the second order question here. If you're on the on the other side of it, running a campaign, would you not want that to happen more often? These walking, yeah, talking people? Exactly. You'd want them to. Yeah, I would. Yeah. And then I would think less of them for doing it. <laughs> We're going to leave it there. Corey, that really sums up our relationship with our uh, audience, That's a wrap hey? on episode 1266 <laughs> of The Strategist. My name is Zade Belgi. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time.